from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Chairman Kim, it's an honor to be together uh, in really a country, Vietnam, where they've really rolled out the red carpet. President Donald Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un have started their second summit designed to shut down North Korea's nuclear weapons program. But that is easier said than done. It's time now to begin the serious work of in-depth technical negotiations on a step-by-step process to start to take apart North Korea's program. So what needs to be done to start the process? What does North Korea want in return? Are they even serious about denuclearization? And does the term actually mean the same thing to the U.S. and North Korea? We'll answer those questions with two experts who've actually sat across the negotiating table from the North Koreans and worked on the details of North Korea's previous denuclearization efforts. All of those questions and answers coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. President Donald Trump sat down with Kim Jong-un for dinner last night on February 27th, 2019, to talk about plans for what they're going to do in this second nuclear summit, which is designed to bring an end to North Korea's nuclear weapons program. Before the dinner, they made some public statements to the press. Here's what the president had to say. Chairman Kim, it's an honor to be together uh, in really a country, Vietnam, where they've really rolled out the red carpet and they've, they're very honored to have us. And uh, it's great to be with you. We had a very successful first summit. I felt it was very successful. And some people would like to see it go quicker. I'm satisfied. You're satisfied. We want to be happy with what we're doing. But I thought the first summit was a great success. And I think this one hopefully will be equal or greater than the first. And we made a lot of progress. And I think the biggest progress was our relationship is really a good one. To get right to the heart of what needs to be done at this summit, we spoke with former special envoy for six-party talks with North Korea, Ambassador Joe Detrani, and asked him what were the main issues or the core issues that need to be dealt with right off the bat in this situation. There's no doubt that our focus should be on one issue, and that is the core issue, North Korea's nuclear weapons program. North Korea with nuclear weapons is not in the interest of the United States or the region or the international community. The proliferation threat of a nuclear North Korea would be extensive. Therefore, the core issue of these negotiations and of previous negotiations over 25 years of negotiations with North Korea was and is the complete, verifiable, irreversible dismantlement of all nuclear weapons and nuclear 
nuclear weapons facilities. With a commitment for North Korea to adhere to a robust verification protocol that permits monitors to visit non-declared suspect nuclear sites. That's the core issue, complete verifiable dismantlement of all nuclear weapons and weapons facilities. So in order to walk down this road, in order to get to the end of it, which is where the reward would lie, North Korea is going to have to do some very significant dismantling of its protective apparatus for the regime. So what are they going to get or what are they going to ask for in return? A normal bilateral relationship with the United States. A relationship with the United States that would give them access to the international financial institutions for direct foreign loans, investments. It would give them international legitimacy. And North Korea will then will have the opportunity, as Kim Jong-un has indicated, to affect economic reform, economic development, and improve the livelihood of the people of North Korea. This is what North Korea wants. This is what Kim Jong-un, the young leader, wants. That's Ambassador Joe Dutrani, former special envoy for the six-party talks with North Korea. And he worked diligently for the U.S. on behalf of an agreement with North Korea. And after it was done, North Korea essentially walked away from it. Now, we're going to turn to Richard Johnson, who is the Senior Director for Fuel Cycle and Verification at the Nuclear Threat Initiative. He's been deeply involved in Iran and North Korean nuclear issues, and he was a member of the Six-Party Talks, as well as Ambassador Joe Detrani, whom you just heard from. Now we want to find out from him what's at stake and what he needs to see to be convinced this is going to work this time. I think at a bare minimum, I would like to see a process begun. I think that there have been in the past some uh, unrealistic ideas that uh, North Korea's denuclearization could occur in a very short period of time, one year or less. The reality is, as you say, North Korea has been working on a nuclear program for decades. And so one should expect it will take some time to get rid of that program. So at a bare minimum, I would like to see President Trump and Kim Jong-un tell their envoys that it's time now to begin the serious work of in-depth technical negotiations on a step-by-step process to start to take apart North Korea's program. This will take time. It's not going to be done in a year, and it's not going to be done in two years. But there are concrete things that can be done in the short term that would cap and possibly even reverse North Korea's program And that would be very good in reducing the threat from North Korea and reducing tensions in the region. Mr. Johnson, in addition to the threat from North Korea's nuclear uh, program, they have uh, other weapons at their disposal, not the least of which is brinksmanship. And in talking with some of the people who have sat at the table with North Korea's representatives over the years, this very process has played out before where North Korea's interpretation of something that's seemingly very straightforward to the rest of us, like the word denuclearization, may mean something completely else or other to them simply because of the fact that they live in a different world. North Korea's Kim Jong-un, they have a different reality. So the question I'd like to put in front of you right now is, do you think, based on what you know, North Korea's serious about denuclearization? I think the only way you can test their seriousness is to actually go through this process. And I think you're absolutely right 
that in the past, uh, previous uh, negotiations and engagements with North Korea have broken down in part because of disagreements or misunderstandings over what was actually committed. I was involved in the six-party talks process under the Bush administration. I was also involved in the so-called Leap Day deal in the Obama administration. And in both of those cases, one of the problems was that the definitions of certain terms, the sequencing of certain actions was left fairly undefined. And when then there was a disagreement and people left the table thinking that they had agreed to one thing and the other side thought they had agreed to something else, uh, the process broke down. I would point to something like the Iran nuclear deal as an example of how to make an improvement in this case. If you look at the Iran deal, um, it's about 140 pages of text. It's very specific. Uh, it's very detailed. It has specific timelines laid out of when certain steps are supposed to happen. Uh, I understand the administration has strong views about the JCPOA, um, but I do think, and I've recently written a paper on this, that there are examples and lessons learned that even despite the Trump administration's disagreements with the Iran deal could be useful in a North Korea deal. And that, again, is why I think that it would be good to uh, use this summit as the launching point for a process of detailed negotiations. Otherwise, the chances, chances of miscommunication are too high. You know, one of the things that's really important here, Richard, as we talk about this, is what you laid out very clearly and simply is a process, something like a blueprint that could be followed, but no blueprint, no blueprint ever has seemed to work with the North Koreans and in, to, to some degree with the administration. Uh, and one of the things that I have to ask you uh, specifically about North Korea as it relates to this is, do you get the sense that Kim Jong-un is in possession of the support that he needs from within North Korea to make this happen? Or are there those within North Korea that don't want North Korea to to get rid of its nuclear weapons and missile programs, and Kim Jong-un simply hasn't convinced them uh, of that? And is that something that needs to be done now? Well, I think North Korea has domestic politics like any other country. And it's one of the hardest things about that country is that we don't understand very well how that works. Um, we've seen reports even in recent days of possible purges of officials who were opposed to uh, what uh, Kim Jong-un seems to be doing here with the United States. So I think the short answer to your question is we don't really know how much support he has. But as of now, it seems like he is still very much in control of the country. The rivals that could have been his rivals uh, don't exist. We should be very clear uh, not to be too, uh, uh, you know, viewing the world through too much through rose-colored glasses that he did murder his half-brother who was a threat to him, and he did murder his uncle, who was a threat to him. Yes. So he's a, a very you know, brutal dictator here, uh, but it also means that he probably very much is in control. So I think the question is, and the reason why some of these processes have failed in the past is, look, the North Koreans have a broader set of goals here. They want to see improvement uh, in relations with the United States. They want to see an acceptance of North Korea as a sovereign nation that is not going to be a threat for regime change. The United States is much more focused on the nuclear and missile threat. 
And so the, the good thing about this process is it seems to be taking into account all of these factors. The Singapore statement talks about normalization, it talks about building peace, and it talks about denuclearization. The real question will be is, as you said, is uh, North Korea prepared to actually follow through in the, in the sense that we have gone down this road before and it's usually fallen apart? We do have a different leader in both sides here. Um, and so the question is, can this now be sequenced in a way that both sides feel that both of their goals are being addressed in parallel and that if there is any uh, uh, retrenchment on the part of either side, that these steps, whether they're sanctions relief or other things, are reversible in a way that we don't feel like we've given up too much and gotten too little. Well, if that's the case, then what was the first meeting all about? Because if it's my understanding that North Korea was presented with exactly what you said, um, that the U.S. wanted North Korea to move along a path of denuclearization and the U.S. would help North Korea economically. Because at the end of the day, we can say, based on what I know, uh, all we want that North Korea is interested in 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 joining the world community again. But I think at the end of the day, what this is really about is is Kim Jong-un ensuring that the dynasty continues and his own administration survives. But the administration here in the U.S. presented options to them at the first meeting. And not long afterwards, they were uh, essentially thanked with threats from Kim Jong-chol, the uh, DPRK representative and and, and other activities that suggested North Korea wasn't really interested in moving forward, uh, at least in a, in a professional way. Does, does that speak to you as to North Korea's uh, lack of education about these processes or just the fact that North Korea, uh, the, the leaders there simply are just bullies? Um, well, I think a couple of things. One is, look, the North Koreans know us maybe even better than we know ourselves. Until huh, recently, really? the North Korean delegations to these talks were very consistently the same people. Um, what's interesting and what is maybe new here is that they have actually changed who their representatives are um, in some of these talks. Uh, that might be a sign that there is a, a new approach happening here. Um, and so we have to be cautious. Uh, but we also have to test them. Um, I think you're right that there were high hopes coming out of Singapore that something would happen. Um, the reality is that summit, I think, came together very quickly. And having worked um, in previous administrations where you prepare a president for a meeting, there's usually a lot more time and effort that you have to put into that process. For whatever reason, and I'm not judging why, I'm just saying that didn't happen. It happened much more quickly than normal in Singapore. Now we have a, a process where I feel that because of Steve Began's involvement and because he has now actually been able to meet with his counterpart several times, that in fact, we might be able to get something more substantive. So you're right. I think that if we have a repeat of Singapore, which is high on symbolism and low on substance, that would not be a very good outcome. But if we have something that's more substantive this time uh, and hopefully even includes some concrete steps. While I care about the process, I would love to see as an essential next step, a freeze on nuclear material production of, of uranium and plutonium. 
um, that would be a real cap on their program. If we see something like that come out and we're hearing rumors that that might be on the table, um, that would be a very positive and really a useful outcome of this summit. Not to minimize this, but I want to ask this question because I think based on the folks that I've spoken to who are uh, some of your colleagues and uh, some of the folks you've worked with before on this issue is the possibility that uh, ending the Korean War um, is something North Korea really wants. Uh, and if there is some discussion about that, that would be something they would consider uh, at least a partial victory. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? If we come out of this summit with just that, what's your what's your feeling on that? Well, I would hope we wouldn't come out with just that. As I said, I hope we would come out with something on the nuclear side as well. And I think it depends upon what you mean by ending the Korean War. Um, we're not going to get a peace treaty out of this. That's a much more complex document that requires um, other players to be involved, including probably the Chinese. Um, and we certainly would not want to see any outcome that would have a negative impact on our strong alliance with South Korea and the presence of U.S. troops there. Um, so I don't think you're going to see that. I do think a statement that makes clear what is obvious to all, which is that fighting on the Korean Peninsula ended in the early 1950s, um, would be a fine statement to make. Um, but as we said earlier, it's all in the wording. It needs to be clear that this should not imply to Pyongyang that uh, U.S. troops are going home anytime soon or that the alliance with South Korea has been ended. Um, so I'm okay with some sort of an end of war declaration if it's well worded and doesn't impact our alliance. But I hope that that's not the only thing that we do, because uh, that would be, I think, a one-sided outcome. We need to also get something done on the nuclear side in a verifiable way, uh, hopefully involving international nuclear inspectors uh, on whatever it is that's agreed to. How well prepared do you think the Trump team is to, to, to get something beyond, you know, that uh, cessation of hostilities uh, agreement or something modest like that? How well prepared are they to get some big things done? Well, look, I know some of the folks who are involved in this process, and they're very good. The good news is we have some people who have been working on this for years, and I think they're very clear-eyed in um, the sense that, you know, North Korea has cheated before. We have no trust between Washington and Pyongyang, and so we have to be cautious. Now, I hope that uh, that advice is being listened to at the highest levels um, and that there could be some balanced outcome. I do think that unlike in Singapore, there has been enough work done that you could see some sort of an outcome that has real substantive components to it. So I'm, I hate to say optimistic or pessimistic, I think that we're in a better place now, but to use the cliche, the devil is in the details. And we've been down this road before. So uh, at, the, at the end of the day, what I'm looking for is a, a substantive outcome, a recognition that this will be a long-term process that needs to continue in a sustained manner, and the realization that in case North Korea is not serious and decides to reverse, that we're able to quickly reverse whatever steps we undertake and reimpose some sort of pressure on the DPRK. Okay. Any final thoughts? 
Well, the only other thing that I would add is that, uh, you know, in our view, especially here at NTI, um, denuclearization is not something that could be done to North Korea. It really needs to be done with North Korea. So if we're going to get into a serious um, set of negotiations and a real process, um, I think we would be interested in seeing a cooperative effort involving not only the United States, but other players in the region and globally to actually help North Korea take apart its nuclear programs and potentially convert some of those programs to civilian uses. Uh, this is the so-called non-Luger approach uh, or cooperative threat reduction that was used in the former Soviet Union, where uh, U.S. dollars and U.S. support helped to secure old Russian facilities, convert them, and make sure that there were no proliferation threats from the workers there. And so I think uh, we see an opportunity there, uh, but this is something that needs to be considered at the beginning of negotiations. It needs to be a multilateral process, not just involving the U.S., but involving the other players in the region. Um, and I would point you to an op-ed that um, our co-chair, Senator Sam Nunn, along with former Senator Richard Lugar, mm -hmm. wrote about this in the Washington Post back in April mm -hmm. uh, as a model for this idea. Mm. Yeah, two very good men and two very accomplished people that I'm uh, very fond of their work and careers. Um, you mentioned the former Soviet Union, and I would like to ask this very quick follow-up. Are Russia and China important? in this process and in what way are they, if, if, if they are? I think they're both very important. I think the Chinese are even more important than almost any other player in the region, given their long history with the DPRK. They have a shared border and they care a lot about um, not only nuclear weapons in North Korea, but uh, frankly about the US-South Korea alliance and the presence of US troops in the region, which is one reason why we have to be careful when dealing with China because they have their own motives for wanting to see some changes on the peninsula. But at the end of the day, I think you need Chinese buy-in uh, for whatever it is that you're going to do. And to a certain extent, you also do need the Russians. And, you know, I was involved in the six-party talks, uh, which as a process ultimately may not have been the best model. But I think you have to have all of those players involved at some point to have their sign-off. And as I said, uh, this could take a lot of different forms. There are political ways that they can reinforce uh, bilateral agreements with the U.S., but there are also technical and, and economic and investment-oriented ways that they can be helpful, whether that's in converting nuclear uh, reactors or sites to peaceful uses, or uh, helping to uh, direct North Korea into a world of economic reform. And I do think that there are things like uh, instead of mining uranium, they could mine for rare earth minerals, which are used in the cell phones and the electronics we use today. The Russians and the Chinese are the two biggest players in that industry. I bet they'd like to get in on that market. And that would also take them away from doing uranium. So uh, I do think that they are essential players. And if there's anything that we haven't done yet, uh, we need to do more with the regional players. The human rights issue has been on the table for a while. And I'm wondering how important you think that needs to be in this process. Well, as I said earlier, I think we have to be clear-eyed about North Korea. It's a brutal dictatorship. They have thousands of people in prison camps. Um, if you hear the stories of defectors, they're pretty terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we cannot ignore the human rights violations that occur in North Korea every day. 
Uh, I also think, though, that we've had experience with the former Soviet Union and with other countries that are gross human rights violators, that we've been able to still deal with some of the most immediate national security threats um, while recognizing these challenges. So I don't think that we can um, keep quiet about them per se. I would think that um, there could be moments in talks where these issues could be raised. I don't know that the North Koreans will react well to them. Uh, and I don't think that they should be the first topic of the agenda uh, as we're starting out a process. But I do think that, um, you know, if we want to see real improvements in U.S.-North Korea relations, at some point, the human rights issue has to be addressed and uh, it shouldn't be shunted away uh, permanently because we're trying to make a deal somewhere else. Excellent. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Johnson. Um, I appreciate your taking some time to talk with us. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. To finish our program up, we wanted to get some perspective from Ambassador Dutrani about that resistance inside North Korea to give up the nuclear weapons and, and what's actually going to have to happen if Kim is serious about it. There are many in North Korea, certainly those who are senior leaders, who have worked with Kim Jong-un's father and grandfather, spent decades working on building North Korea's nuclear and missile programs, who are not convinced that complete verifiable denuclearization is in North Korea's interest. These officials feel, and I think the intelligence community made that very clear a few weeks ago in their worldwide threat report, that North Korea, Kim Jong-un, the regime looks to nuclear weapons as a means to survival for the regime. So why would they then give up their nuclear weapons if indeed these weapons permit the regime to survive? This is the issue for Kim Jong-un working with the elites who are opposed to complete verifiable dismantlement. Ambassador Joe Dutrani, former U.S. Special Envoy for the Six-Party Talks with North Korea. We, of course, will keep you up to date on what happens with the summit, and we will stay on this issue as long as it takes. And now, coming up in our next episode, a very special podcast, an exclusive interview. The thing that keeps me up at night is, you know, ensuring that we're doing everything we can not to be surprised uh, by either a strategic move by a key competitor or the development of a game-changing piece of technology that we did not anticipate. General Robert Ashley, director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, one of the sharpest intelligence minds I've ever met. And here's why. This was his answer to the question, what's the most important warfighting domain? It was a story about a basketball analogy that relates directly to his work in intelligence. He held up his hand with his fingers extended, and he said it's the difference between fingers extended, and then he closed his fist. And I said, I'm not sure I get it. He goes, it's the difference between five individuals and a team. So when somebody says, what's the most important domain? I'm not sure that I can isolate one. I mean, everyone comes with its, its own unique capability and its ability to cause damage or to be able to, to dominate an opponent. But in our extended sit-down interview, you will hear him talk about the main threats, how to deal with them, the time frame. All of that coming up on our next episode of Target USA. Thank you for listening and allowing us into your life. We appreciate the opportunity to let you get educated while we get educated about the national security and international security issues facing our nation. If you have any questions, send me an email at 
jgreen at WTOP.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at WTOP.com. Also, please follow us on Twitter. At TUSA Podcast is our address. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Podcast. And if you need to contact me securely, shoot me a note and I'll show you how to do it. And one more thing, please don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Congratulations to Adam Carolla for coming up on his 10th year of podcasting on March 10th. And now you can catch up on some of his finest moments of the decade. Check out the Corolla Network's Corolla Classics. A look back on some of the funniest moments on the show, like you've never heard them before. Celebrate 10 years of great podcast moments with Corolla Classics every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.